You're listening to the GNU World Order, episode 12 for season 13 for 2019.76. Hi everyone, this is Klaatu, and this episode is about GitOpt. What is GitOpt? Well, of course, it is an, it, it's a little application from the kernel developers from kernel.org, bundled, at least on Slackware, in the util-linux package. It might be called something different on your system. It really depends on how your packagers have decided to break things up. On Slackware, it's all in a thing called util-linux. It has a bunch of applications, including GitOpt. And GitOpt is a little... I want to call it, well, a utility, I guess, util-linux. That would make sense. But uh, specifically, it's... It's kind of a, a bash utility that helps you parse options in a bash or TCSH script. And GitOpt itself ships with two example scripts so that you know how to use it in a bash script and in a TCSH script. The sample scripts are a little bit complex, and uh, I'm going to hopefully sort of unravel all of that in this episode. And I'll, I think I'll just limit the discussion to bash because I think... Ultimately, most of us are going to use Bash at the end of the day. I think I've talked a little bit about TCSH, yeah, actually recently in the because it's in the uh, the the package set, the A package set. I talked about TCSH and how I used to use it, how I still do use it sometimes for this or that. But I think a lot of us just use Bash. It's really easy to get, so let's just focus in on Bash. Point being, and GitOpt itself basically works the same for both shells. It's just that you have to kind of I mean, it does the same thing for both shells. You just have to you have to structure the way that you that you parse or that you that you get information from GitOpt differently depending on whether you're using Bash or TCSH. So we are talking about GitOpt or GitOpt rather. So GitOpt, if you if you think of a Bash script or or any command that you've used on Linux, then you know probably certainly if you've used a basic command like ls you know that there's something called options, or flags, or switches. We call them different things, but let's just call them options for now, that you can add to a command. And if you've heard this show at all before, then you probably know that most options have a short and a long long form. And I really like to try to talk in terms of long-form options because they are self-descriptive. They kind of document themselves. What does the dash A option for the ls uh, command do? Well, I don't know, but I know what ls dash dash all does, and that is it shows all the files in a directory, even the hidden ones. Turns out that dash A is the short version of that, so you do know what ls dash A does. But certainly, if you're talking to new users, or if you're trying to remember something yourself, a lot of times it's easier to remember what what a long option is, because it's like you're building a sentence. ls, list, a directory, dash dash all files, uh, let's do, um, the, let's do them in colors, dash dash color, and so on. You can kind of build a phrase out, out of those options. Anyway, that has nothing to do with gitopt, except that gitopt is a thing that helps you parse those options in a script that you are writing yourself. And here's how that works. Actually, sorry, before we talk about that, let's talk about other ways to do what GitOpts does. And the one, the, the way that I learned Bash scripting really was that I looked at the scripts that Patrick Volkerding includes with Slackware, or that the maintainers of Slackbuilds.org include on Slackbuilds.org, and I, I kind of reverse engineered those scripts, and that's really how I learned 
what I consider to be pretty good bash scripting practices. And and I've probably learned some things that aren't you know aren't maybe the best or the, maybe the most optimal way of doing things. And I get that, but but I feel like what I have learned has been uh, pretty good and also pretty easy to then again reverse engineer. And that is one of my my favorite things about Bash is because it is kind of the HTML, if you will, of of programming. Right? It, it's super easy to read. It is something that you can you can figure out if if people write it in a certain way, then it is almost self-documenting, and you can look at it and you can you can see what it's doing, and you can see how it affects your system because a lot of what you're doing in a Bash script is the stuff that you could be doing manually on your system anyway. So I really like that about Bash. GitOps is a little bit less uh, so, but here's here's something from, for instance, my own, my very own, uh, Trash Trash script. And if you've never used Trash or Trashy, as I call it, uh, then you should you should go use it. Honestly, sincerely, you should go to um, probably. Let's assume I've got it on Slacker Media somewhere. So go to Slacker Media dot info slash trashy and if you do that then you'll find that there's a there's a little blurb about what trashy is how it works and uh, a link on where you can go download it and and once you download it you can figure out how to install it oh no actually it tells you how to install it on that page as well so there you go it's a trash trash command so that you don't you're, so that you stop using the rm command but anyway what we're really doing here is we're going to look at what that says and so i'm going to do a less on or i could do a more to stay stay within util util linux more uh and there's oh i shouldn't have done more no that was a bad idea no there we go okay so if i do a search for which then i see no i shouldn't have done more that was a bad idea Sorry, Utilinux. Um, less is better. Okay, so I'm going to do a search for which, or I meant while, but actually which works. Um, and here we go. So we've got, th there's this section in my, in this bash script that processes options. And this is what I would consider the Patrick Volkerding way, because that's how I, this is, that's where I learned this from. And it uses a while loop, so it's while bracket true bracket semicolon do, and then a bunch of if and else if, and then an else statement. So it says, it, it's basically, it goes through the options, and of course we, you, you may or may not know that in, in, a, in a shell, dollar uh, sign zero represents the thing that you typed in, the command that you typed in. That's dollar sign zero. That's the zeroth um, position of what essentially becomes an array when you pass it through to the shell for processing. So $0 is the command making the next thing after $0.1. So what this what this does is this this non get opt method of parsing options is that it looks at dollar sign one and it says okay, well is it equal is the string contained in dollar sign one equal to a string that looks like this and it says dash dash help and then it does dash o for or and then another dollar sign one equal uh, dash h so if if we if we have a command that we've just run in this case trashy and and we have a something after it if it's either dash dash help or dash h then we echo this helpful message which is trash dash dash verbose dash dash dry run you know all the different things that you can do with it and then it exits 
So it prints out a help message. Now there are different ways to do that. You can create a function called help and or helper, something like that, and then invoke that so that it's not all in one place. But yeah, you, th that's essentially what it does, right? So then, and that exits. So, and that's a common behavior of help. So let's go to the next one. So here's, um, if it if dollar sign one is dash dash verbose or dash V, then create a flag called verbose and then shift one. And that's the, the this is an important thing to, to understand. So what we're doing is we're shifting one, which basically means, okay, so we've processed dollar sign one. We have found it to be dash dash verbose or dash V. And now we're going to lift it out of our array and just kind of throw it aside. Maybe we put, we, maybe we created a variable, or maybe we did something with the information, but, but the, the element from the array, that, that slot, we're just throwing away. And we're imagining that everything shifts to the left. So what was number two is now number one. What was number three is now number two. What was number four is now number three, and so on. So that's the shift one. And it's significant that we've shifted one and not, say, I don't know, two. And the significance in this case, and this isn't a hard and fast rule because it depends on how you structure things, but in this case, there is a shift one because verbose does not require any argument. There is nothing that verbose requires. It is an on or an off. It is a Boolean kind of switch. We're saying if, if we see the verbose flag, then we know that verbose has been turned on and we can look at the next thing. But let's pretend for a moment that this doesn't, Trashy doesn't actually have anything, it, it does things a little bit differently. But let's just pretend for a moment that Trashy had um, some different setting where you could say, instead of, the, to, just, instead of sending a, tr uh, a file to the trash can, to my, to my system's trash can, uh, put it in some other folder. So then we might have like a dash dash destination or, you know, dash dash bin, like a different, different waste bin. Um, whatever, and then and and as a requirement, we would need another statement after that, right? You can't just say put it somewhere else and then not tell me where to put it. So it would be the expectation would be you'd type in trashy dash dash uh, destination or dest, uh, and then you would you would give it a different path. So maybe you'd do a tilde slash uh, dot hidden trash. I don't know wherever you'd want to put something, and and then you would type in the name of the of the thing that you want to trash, the file that you want to throw away. Now in that case, dest would be number one, right? That would be dollar sign number one, do, do, dollar sign one. And then the argument to dest would be do, dollar sign two. And then the file that you want to trash is, no, is dollar sign three. So in that case, when you're finished processing those things, you would need to shift not one, but two over because you're removing two elements from the array and that and that that shifts everything down. If you were only to shift one, then you would only be lifting dash dash dest, leaving behind the argument, the tilde slash dot hidden trash or whatever file, you know, whatever alternate destination you have would, would still be in your array. And what are you going to do with that? I, I don't know what you would do with that. So you're, you're either shifting one or you're shifting two. Or, or whatever your expectations are for, for a command. That's important to understand. And, and you keep doing that. You iterate over the new number one until you run out of number ones. And so if you've got a bunch of ifs and else ifs and else ifs and else ifs and else ifs, at the end of it all, you've shifted everything. You've removed all kinds of things out of 
the array. Maybe you have maybe you have some more data. Maybe there's some still some stuff hanging out, like a file name or something. Well, it doesn't match any of your ifs and else if state statements or elifs in in Bash. Um, so what do you do? Well, you 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 go to else, and in else you do a you you break you break out of your loop, and then you're done. You you are no longer true is no longer true. There has been a break in the loop. You are out and the bash script continues to process whatever it is that you told it to, to do. Now, in my case, in Trashy's case, it dumps anything left. It assumes everything. anything left after that is a file name, and so it puts that into a, an array called arg, and then it, it, it trashes. It, it, continue, it proceeds to analyze some stuff and then trashes the files that you have, you have given it doesn't delete them, it just moves them into your system trash, unlike RM, which simply blows them away. But I digress. Point being, everything after, so once you've cleared out your array, you've got your dollar sign zero, which was your command, and you've, you've already processed all of your dollar sign ones and twos and threes and fours, so all that's left in your array now is what we can consider, or, or we, can, we can look at everything, all, all the numbers, with dollar sign at. The dollar sign and then the at symbol. That means all the stuff that the command was given. And that's a good thing to know as well. So that's kind of like, that's the, that's the non-git opt way of doing option parsing. And it's not bad. It totally works. I use it all the time. And I feel like it is reverse engineerable. You can look at that without any knowledge of bash scripting and maybe even minimal knowledge of programming. And you kind of get it. You look at it, and you look at the, the options, and you, you dash dash verbose, and dash dash version, and dash dash dry run, and you think, you know what? I have, I've seen those before. I used those when I used that command. I, I remember that. And, and then you realize what it's doing. You see, okay, the dollar sign. Maybe, maybe the shift one thing throws you off the first time you try to make a, an argument that then has a parameter next to it, or a, an option that has an argument, rather. But, you, you know, you, you, you muddle through it, you figure it out. So I really do like this method, don't get me wrong. Th this is a good one. The git opt one is a little bit fancier. It is, a, it, it is a bit more complex. So let's go over what git opt can do. And this is going to be a super simple script. Like, we are going to keep this really simple. It is going to, we'll call it opt simple.sh. And all it will do is it will acknowledge that we have used a, f a specific flag. That's all this one's going to do. We'll get a little bit more complex later. But for now, we're just going to do a really basic thing that uses git opt. So here we go. So we're opening up a shell script. And I'll include this in the show notes, I'm sure. It is uh, hashbang, or, or, you know, the octothorpe exclamation mark slash user bin bash. That's where my bash lives. Yours might lives, live elsewhere. If you don't know, you can type in which bash. You could also do like a, a user bin on uh, and then space bash, or you could just do bin ba uh, bin bin sh hash bang slash bin slash sh. So that'll get you probably to bash. Kind of want to make sure that it's bash, I guess. But but generally anything linked to bin sh is is very bash like. So we'll make a variable and we'll call it opts o p t s all capitals because that way we know it's a variable. So opts equals, and then we're going to do a back tick, and we'll do git opt space dash dash options. That now that is if we look at if we do a git if we drop back down to a terminal real quick, do a man git opt, we will see that 
one of the parameters of get opt is dash dash options, and it says the short one character options to be recognized. If this option is not found, the first parameter of get opt that does not start with a dash and is not an option argument is used as the short options string. Okay, don't care about all that, that detail, but yes. So dash dash options, we're setting the short option that we want our little command to recognize. I'm just going to put F, because the long option, which we define with dash dash long, space, is going to be foo, F-O-O. Okay, and that's all we're doing. We're, we're giving it two, two things. We're giving it an option of F, and a long version of that option as foo. And that's it. We're done with that particular subshell command, except we're not. So, um, after the dash dash long foo, we're going to do a space, dash dash, to kind of break ourselves out of the git opt command, and then do a, a quote dollar sign at symbol, close quote, and then close the backtick. So opts is a variable that we're creating, and it is going to contain the results of git opt with all those arguments, and then dash dash all everything else. All of the arguments of, uh, you know, the, the entire array of things that we have issued along with this command. Now we're going to do an eval set dash dash quote dollar sign opts close quotes. Now this in itself is a little bit complex. Not it, This is not at all related to git opts. I'm, well, I shouldn't say that. It is, kind of. But I mean, it's a separate... It is a separate entity from git opts. It, it, git opts, the, the way that we're writing the script needs this. Git opts, it's not part of git opts, is what I'm saying. So, the set command takes arguments after, after, a, after the dash dash, so everything in the dollar sign at symbol, and assigns them to positional parameters. So, dollar, dollar sign zero through however many there are. In theory, that's enough. You get what you expect if you just use set. The problem is that uh, set doesn't exactly... It doesn't know what to do with... Well, it does know what to do with quotes. It just doesn't... It might not do what you expect it to do with quotes. So, for instance, if you pass um, uh, something in quotes with a space in those quotes, set alone retains the space, assuming that the quotes... The quotation marks aren't really quotes, they're part of the string. It treats the quotes as part of, you know, it, it doesn't eat the quotes. It, it retains those quotes. Eval makes sure that the quotes that you pass as an, as an argument to a command, when you, when you run set through eval, it takes those quotes, looks at them, kind of sees them as quotation marks, throws them away, and gives you back exactly what you would expect. There's a fantastic article on this subject on linuxjournal.com. I will definitely, definitely link to that article in the show notes, because it is one of those things that, if you read it and walk through it, it's amazing. You learn so much. So, it's it, it's not easy. It's not com it, it is a complex thing. There are lots of little letters and numbers being thrown around, but it's a very short article. If you do it a couple of times, you'll you'll get what I'm saying. So eval set dash dash opts is taking all of the stuff that we have in opts, which as you know are is whatever git opt is processing for us with the options, and then it's everything else, the dollar sign at. It it's assigning those to positional arguments and eval makes sure that any embedded quotation marks are treated uh, as quotation marks rather than as ASCII characters. So then we say, um, 
then we'll do wild true. And if you want, you can do it. If you can throw in after this echo quote dollar sign opts close quote. It's perfect. Um, and then now we're going to do a while loop, which if you'll recall from the trashy script, this is exactly, this is, this is how we get into like the endless loop of, okay, let's process, let's process the, the, the options that we've given our, our shell script. So, so in a way, this is similar. We're, we're, we're getting ourselves into an infinite loop here. So we'll say while true semicolon do, and then we'll say case. So this is different. We're using a case statement. Case quote dollar sign one close quote in that's i n and then the next line we'll do a dash f and a pipe symbol dash dash foo parentheses echo quote option f has been toggled on and then semicolon shift and then semicolon semicolon and then the next line we'll just do a dash dash parentheses shift semicolon break semicolon semicolon and then case spelled backwards e s a c and then the word done. So that's our, our while loop with an embedded case statement in it. And all the case statement does really is say, okay, look at whatever number one is right now. And again, we've, we've assigned these to positional st statements with our set command, you'll recall. So we look at number one, and we look at it, and we say, is it a dash F, or is it a dash dash foo? Well, if it is, echo this statement. And then shift, and you remember shift. You remember shift because I used it in Trashy. And then when it's all when it's all done, we know that we'll see a dash dash. How do we know that we'll see a dash dash? Well, you'll know it because when we when we echo everything contained in opts, you'll see that that finishes with a dash dash. So when we hit dash dash, we know that we're out of options, we're out of arguments, we're all done. So we'll shift, we'll break, and we're out of our loop. And that's really everything that we need to do right now. So let's save this file, and then we'll go to our simple. We'll, we'll chmod it, chmod, chmod space plus x, opt simple dot sh. So now it's got an executable bit set, so we can actually run it as a command. And we'll do dot slash opt simple dot sh. Run it as is, and all we have is two dashes as our output, right? Okay, so why do we get two dashes? Well, so if we we look at our script, you see, you see that we set opts to get opt dash dash options f dash dash long foo dash dash that's the, that's that's it the dash dash that we just saw are those two dashes and then anything else included well we didn't include anything else we don't have anything in our dollar sign at symbol so we got nothing back except those two dashes and functionally in this context those two dashes are kind of our symbol that get ops is finished like we've we've expired We've 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 gone through everything that we have to offer in our opts variable, and that's why in our while in our case statement we have as our last break um, detection we have that dash dash parentheses shift semicolon break semicolon semicolon end case end while, that's it it's it's dash dash is 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 serving here as our signal that oh we're all out of options now and arguments all right so we'll run this again. Except this time, instead of just doing a dot, sla dot slash opt, or uh, dot slash opt simple dot sh, we'll do a dash dash foo. Let's try it. Okay, this time we get, on our first line, because we are echoing our opts, we get a dash dash foo. Actually, we get a space dash dash foo, space dash dash. So again, that's just really raw output from, from our get opts command. That's what, that's what we're passing the rest of our script. And I just come uh, highlighting that for you so that you kind of understand 
what get what role get opt actually plays in this larger script. And then on the second line, we get option F has been toggled on. And we see that because in our case statement, we look at dollar sign $1, and if it is a dash F or a dash dash foo, then it echoes option F has been toggled on. Okay, let's do the same thing, except this time we'll just do a dash F, and we get basically the same output. We get that it's toggled on, so it detected the dash F. We get the dash F dash dash, just as confirmation that that's what our input was. And then one more time, let's do this weird test where we do dash dash bar, and that time it says get opt, unrecognized option dash dash bar. So that's good. So it knows when we're not using the command correctly. And let's do a dash, uh, let's do a dash F and then give it bar. So dash F space bar. And this time it, it, it shows us in our output that we have a space dash F space dash dash space quote bar close quote and it says option F has been toggled on. And you'll notice that bar just gets eaten, really, like by the script. The script doesn't know what to do with that hanger on. It doesn't know what to do with bar. We never told it what to do with bar. Okay, so let's let's address some of these issues. So we'll go back into our script, and we'll go to the bottom of it, and we'll do this little for loop here. So we'll do for i in quote dollar sign at close quote semicolon do. And then on the next line, we'll just do an echo quote, dollar sign I, close quote, and then we'll say we're done. So next line, and then the word done. We'll save that, and then we'll run this thing again. So dot slash opt simple dot sh dash f, or dash dash foo if you prefer, space, bar. Now we get basically the same output. We get our, our raw input that we entered just for confirmation. Then we get the, word, the, the phrase option f has been toggled on. And then as the final, um, the final thing in our in the output is the word bar because that's what we that that's what we appended to all of this so we can do the same thing op simple dash sh dash dash foo bar baz and you can predict that we get bar and baz as output for the for the rest of the command so that git op knows that it's going to process these options and then whatever's left hanging on are 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 arguments they're they're for us to process manually for ourselves Okay, so that's that's get opts. Let's look at some of the features here. So in get opt, we get dash dash options f. We get dash dash long foo. Let's do one more thing. Let's do a dash dash alternate alternate or alternative. I have to check it. Hold on. Cool. Um, so alternative dash dash alternative, and we'll just save that and run it. So what this lets you do is kind of lets you really toggle on all the options, and that is dot slash opt simple dot sh space, and we'll just do dash foo, not dash dash foo, just dash foo. And that tells you, and, and that tells, because of the alternative flag that we've set in git opt, it will recognize long options with a single dash rather than requiring a double dash before the long option. So that's kind of handy. Just one of those things where maybe it's nice, you know, because sometimes it's hard to remember there are some commands that take single dashes for no good reason, and it's, you know, if you can just accept them all, then, then everyone wins. So, of course, not everyone only wants one option for their, for their shell script. So what we're going to do is we're going to do options F, and then comma B, and then long, dash dash long, foo, comma, bar. And you can probably guess what's going on here. And then in our case statement, we're going to, add a new line, and that is dash b pipe dash dash bar 
echo option B has been toggled on. And then we'll do semicolon shift, and then semicolon, semicolon, and that's good to go. So now if we go into our shell again, we go opt simple, dash dash, or dash F, and then space, dash dash bar, let's do. Then it gives us our raw input, and it tells us option F and option B have been toggled on. And of course, you can do any combination of that that you want. You could do dash, dash B, dash F, and it doesn't care what order you put them in, it still processes them as, as an option. So that's pretty cool. Now let's get it even fancier. So let's do um, options F, comma, B, uh, colon. And then we'll do the same thing for our dash dash long foo, comma, bar, colon. And now I'm going to adjust something down here in our case statement. Dash B, pipe, dash dash bar, echo, option B has been toggled on. Well, sure, but we're going to do a shift 2. And you'll see why in a moment. So we're going to do... Um, opt simple dash uh, dot sh and then we'll do i guess a dash dash foo just for fun and then we'll do a dash dash bar um puppies now we have it, it, it it's legal for us to provide an argument for the bar option so in our raw input we have space dash dash foo space dash dash bar space quote puppies close quote space dash dash. So in other words, as part of that option B, we now have an argument that is puppies. And we could, in our case statement, we could do something with that. Uh, I don't know what we would do with it, but we could do something with it. We know, actually I'm going to pose this question to you, dear listener. Do you know what position the puppy's argument is. So if we're in our case statement and we're looking at number at dollar sign one, we know that dollar sign one is all foo ever cares about. But with dash dash bar, maybe we want, if, if dash dash bar exists, we want to echo option B has been, let's not do toggled on, let's say has been set to, and then we would want to say some, we want to, we want to put that argument in there. So what argument would that be? positionally speaking. Well, if bar is, in this case, 1, then puppies is going to be number 2, I think. Let's try it. So I've got dash B, pipe, dash dash bar, echo, option B has been set to dollar sign 2, close quote, semicolon, shift to semicolon, semicolon. And we're going to do an op simple, dash dash foo, dash dash bar, puppies, and sure enough, we have option F has been toggled on, option B has been set to puppies. So that's that works. So basically it, it moved, if you notice, it, 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 it ensured that the word puppies was on the left of our double dash that, that, that signals the end of, the end of useful information and, or the, the end of optional information and the, the beginning of, of, of parameters of, or, um, of arguments from the user. So that's a handy trick to know, obviously. Um, and, you can play around with it. You can do like opt simple dot sh dash dash foo dash dash bar. Um, let's do let's try uh, let's do quote puppies space and uh, kittens close quote. And sure enough, because of the eval set, it has retained the space of puppies and kittens, and it becomes a whole phrase. So option B has been set to puppies and kittens. If we didn't have the quotes, obviously then it would pretty much do what you would expect, which is going to be, it should say, option B has been set to puppies, 
and then on the next line we'll get and, and then on the next line we'll get kittens, because of our for loop at the bottom of our script, right? Yeah, and that's option B has been set to puppies, and then and kittens are the are the file arguments or you know whatever whatever thing that we would pass to this script. So that's that's pretty much git opt, honestly. That's that's basically all. I mean, there's there are a couple little things here and there that you could explore that that I have not covered, but that's essentially what it does. The I guess the the disadvantage of git opt is that you can't necessarily uh, guarantee that git opt is going to be on every system that you're on. I'm and I'm I'm talking about it's probably on there, but you you couldn't you can't like guarantee it on on embedded systems or something like that, which might not be there. So you you if if you're if you're going for the very lowest common denominator, then maybe just raw parsing of options is the way to go. But otherwise, GitOpt has a lot of really nice features. It helps you retain spaces and kind of keep things together. It's a really good thing to know about, especially as your Bash scripts or, or TCSH scripts become more complex and arguably more, more tolerant from the, from the user perspective. Because you can't guarantee that your user is going to necessarily know to not have file uh, spaces in their file names. You know, you might prefer them not to have spaces in their file name, but you can't you can't guarantee that they're not going to have spaces. So this this helps out with that. And hey, look what time it is. It's time for coffee. Let's go get a cup. Okay, I'm assuming if you're hearing this voice, you're back with, with coffee. Let's talk about the kill command. This is kind of a famous command. A lot of people know about this. It's one of those gleeful things that Linux users like to announce, that their operating system has a command that, that is kill. And it's it's a relatively simple command, but actually there's there are nuances to it. There are documented nuances and then lesser documented nuances. And then there are the nuances that I actually haven't ever looked up and haven't bothered to learn. So the, the, the thing that I know, obviously, or not obviously, but the thing that I, I certainly I know about is like if we let's um, let's we'll launch top in a in a terminal and then we'll open a different terminal tab here and we'll do pgrep top. I think we've we've covered that before. Right. And it looks like the process for that is nineteen thousand two hundred and seventy eight. So I'm going to just type in kill nineteen nineteen. I thought I was going to copy and paste. OK, nineteen two seven eight. And now if I go back to my tab where top was running, it is no longer running. So one of the things about kill is that what you've actually done when you issue when you issue the the command kill is that you are telling it to kill I I believe the default is dash one. I, I should probably have looked that up for confirmation, but I, I'm I believe that that is the the um the default signal. Um so yeah, because zero is if if nothing is defined, then it goes to zero. Um, it doesn't really exactly say what what exactly it is though. The default it doesn't seem to specify it in the man page. But anyway, point being, what you've done is you've sent a signal, which uh, to to top the 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 PID of top the process ID of top, and told it to 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 stop. And the signal. Uh, 
by default is some is some either number or name. If you want to see what kind of signals exist, you can do a kill-l. Now, according to the man page, you can actually do a kill-list, but that doesn't work for me. If I do dash-list, it says kill-list invalid signal specification. So it, it seems to me like it's only picking up the dash-l. So kill-l, and it gives you a pretty good list of 64 different different signal names and signal types that you could use with the kill command. Now the one of the nuance that's so that's one nuance right there is that you can kill something by just defining the process ID and and you kill it it goes away it stops running and you're done. But as you can tell there are many many different signals many kinds of kills that you can perform. So here's a good one to to illustrate. So if you have GLX gears installed on your system and and you probably do it's like it's a test one of those test applications that I think ships with Zorg or something, Xorg, whatever. Um, and and so if you launch that in in a terminal, that'll that'll throw up a little GUI application of turning gears. That's all it is. It's just a bunch. It's three gears turning perpetually. I'm gonna do a pgrep of GLX gears to get the PID, and that's 20164. So now I'm gonna do a kill dash, and then I see up here that number 19 is sig stop. So I'm going to do dash stop, all capital letters, and then 20164, and then I'll hit return. And what do you know? GLX gears hasn't gone away, but it has paused. It, the gears have stopped turning. And, and I can I can move the window around, and yeah, it's just, it's frozen. And if I do a pgrep of GLX gears again, it, it, it reveals that the PID is still alive. We have not killed it. We've sent a special signal to it that says, hey, I want you to pause. How do you get it back? Well, the the sig the signal right before sig stop in my list is 18 sig cont, C-O-N-T. So let's try that for cont, continue, C-O-N-T, kill dash C-O-N-T 20164, and the, the gears start again. And then, of course, if I really want to kill it, I could do kill 20164 with no options at all, and that makes the application go away. So that's that's a little taste of some of those different signals that you have available to you. Some of them are pretty well documented. SIGHUP, for instance, I think stands for signal hangup, which I think has some kind of special meaning. I mean, I think that's the default one, but I, I believe that's like a friendly kill. It is also, I think, the one that gets sent to a terminal when a terminal session closes, but the application is still running. I think that's the one that's just sort of the default, very friendly kill. There's a sig int, which is the signal number two, which is basically the same as hitting control C in a terminal session. And then there's the dreaded kill dash nine, which stops the process no matter what. It ends it. It does not try to alert other processes that, hey, I'm gonna start shutting down now. It doesn't clean up PID files or lock files. It just kills the process. Okay, a couple, couple more small commands that we could probably cover really briefly, quickly, whatever. Uh, the first one is mount point. That's an easy one. Mount point has one job. It checks whether a directory or a file is a mount point. Its use is pretty straightforward. You type in mount point and then the path to a directory or a file or a device. So if I do mount point slash home, it tells me that slash home is a mount point. That is literally what it says. It just says, yes, it's a mount point. And let's see, if I do mount point slash, that is a mount point. 
Now what if we mount point tilde slash downloads? That is not a mount point. There you go, that's that's mount point. That's the mount point command. You can also do... You, you can print the major and the uh, minor device number of a file system, or print major and minor device number of a block device. So if I do mount point dash dash dev no, as in dev number, and then do a slash dev slash sdd2, tells me it's 850. If I say mount point dash dash fs dash dev no, then I can give it slash home 852 slash var 849 and so on. I have no insight into what you would do with those numbers. But that is the command. That is mount point. Alright, let's look at another one. Mount. Mount is a good one. Mount is, of course, the thing that you could use to mount file systems onto your computer or into your computer or attach a, mount, a, a file system to your computer. I don't know how to really say it. But here's the thing about attaching drives to your heart, to your to your computer on Linux. Not everyone knows this. I think probably if you've used Linux for more than a month, you probably have picked up on this. But uh, if not, then you might not know this. And that is that you know you you've got your computer, right? You've got either a tower or a laptop. That is the computer, right? We'll, we'll call that the computer. There's a hard drive inside that computer, and that kind of takes care of itself generally. You've installed Linux onto it and it boots up, and it just kind of knows what to do. Because it was inst it, it probed all the hardware when you were installing Linux, it added it to specific files, and when you boot up, your system knows to look at a specific file to find out what drive it should consider as kind of like the main drive that it, that it needs to run off of. But in real life, of course, we have, we have thumb drives, we have SD cards, we have external USB drives, network drives, all kinds of places where you can get store... Oh, optical drives. Um, those were a thing once. All kinds of things where you can you can attach... You can plug into your computer and get data from. So, on Linux, when you do that, when you plug a... Let's just go with a thumb drive, because it's what I literally have in my hand right now, and I'm waving around as if you can see it. Let's say you have a thumb drive, and you need some data off of it, or you want to put some data onto it. On Linux, if you plug that into your computer, then technically speaking, and we're, we're kind of, we're, we're stepping away from any kind of user-facing helper program. We're just saying, let's pretend like we're running a super basic Linux box. It's possibly even simpler than, like, the default install of Slackware, because there's actually some helpful things on even Slackware, which famously doesn't have a whole lot of stuff to help you out. Even on Slackware, if you launch a KDE desktop, there are some things in place to sort of help you do certain functions, like, oh, I want to plug in a thumb drive and then and see where it is. KDE will do that for you, or will help you figure that out. So we'll step away from that for a moment. So if we just plug a thumb drive into our computer, and, and a good way to emulate this kind of behavior is if you run something kind of basic like Fluxbox or, or some some applicate or some some desktop that does not it doesn't doesn't have a whole lot of extra features you can kind of get a sense for how this all works natively so you've plugged a drive into your computer linux recognizes the the subsystem of linux the kernel itself recognizes that you have attached a device it knows that you have attached a device to the computer that is part of the kernel's purview. It, it, its job is to detect things like that, and so it does detect that. 
and you can see proof of that with the d the d message command which we looked at not too long ago so d message pipe tail if we want except that i have to be root to do that on this system i don't have a root prompt there we go uh d message and we can see that yes it looks like i have attached a a, a an an item to my computer and it registers that in in my d message output so that's a good start but that is the native behavior of Linux, is that it recognizes that you have attached a drive to it, and that is all it does. Now, if you want to then access that drive, the process to do that is called mounting. You mount the drive. So if you're going to mount a drive on Linux, the, the, the again, sort of the native bare-bones way to do that would, would be with the mount command. Now, previous episodes, you know that there are new tools to to do this a little bit easier but if we're looking at this very sort of basic tool set then then mount would be the command that you would use and the 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 way that you would do that is you would do mount and you probably have to be root for this or su you have to use sudo mount and then slash dev slash whatever drive you've just attached how do you know what the drive is well, like I say, the, the old way to, to find that out would be look at dmessage and find out what it's telling you. You just insert it into the computer, and it will be some some drive designation, usually something like SDA. Well, not it's very rarely SDA, because your main drive is probably SDA. So it might be SDB, or SDC, or SDD, or SDE, or SDF, or whatever. So we're going to do a mount space slash dev because that's where everything any kind of device lives in slash dev slash sd the, in my case it's sdf and then are there partitions here i can do a tab a couple of times and find out yeah it looks like there's one partition on here so i happen to know that if there's a partition on a drive that that probably means that it's a partition that i intentionally placed there to to put data onto that partition so very rarely do I want to mount the drive itself. I, I usually want to mount the partition. So SDF1, and then I need to tell it where to mount it. And this is the other thing, the unique thing about Linux, if you don't know, is that you can actually mount a drive anywhere. It's, it's, a, it's, it's almost like an overlay of sorts. So if you have, if you have a, a folder in, uh, in your home directory, for instance, you could mount a thumb drive there. So it could be a folder that exists, and every day you look at it and it's empty. It's an empty folder. And then one day you decide, you know what, I'm going to plug this thumb drive in there, and I'm going to mount it, at the, uh, and the mount point is going to be this, this folder. And now when you look at the folder, suddenly the contents of the thumb drive appear there. Now if you unplug the thumb drive, the folder will appear empty again. So you're not, it's not like you're copying all the data into that folder. You're just making it manifest in that folder. And that's the way that mounting works on Linux. Attaching a hard drive, it just it, it gives the computer access to all the data on that on that hard drive. And where you want to view that data is up to you. You can put it anywhere. Now there are some defaults on Slackware slash media slash someplace, like HD or or floppy or zip or whatever. Those are some some defaults that, that Slackware has historically had that you can use to mount stuff to and and the idea there was that there was some some semblance of of kind of a logical expectation so for instance if you're plugging in an external hard drive you might do mount slash dev slash 
SDF1 or you know SDB1 or whatever whatever you've de determined the file the the hard drive designation is uh, and then slash and this one is going to be slash home slash clat2 no it's not sorry slash media slash HD for hard drive and I could mount SDF1 there and now if I do a list of slash media slash hard drive yep there's all my files now can I talk about the uh, the the inverse yet is that Yes, it is. Okay, so that's part of this this util Linux as well. So the the inverse of mount is umount, which is a little bit confusing because you'd probably expect it to be I don't know unmount, but it's actually umount. That's the letter U and then mount. So umount slash media slash hd would unmount anything within that directory, or uh, umount slash dev slash sdd or no sorry sdf one. Uh, unmounts that drive from wherever it happens to be mounted. So you can you can unmount from either either direction. You can either unmount from from the place that you know something is mounted to, or you can unmount the thing that you know is mounted somewhere. Doesn't it doesn't care. It both both works j just the same. So so once you've mount after you have mounted something, of course, SDF one to slash media slash HD maybe, or maybe I'm putting it in slash MNT slash HD. To, to mix things up a little bit. In that case, once you once you've done that, to kind of confirm that that you're you've done or, or just to see this in action, I guess you can do you can issue this new command that we just learned about mount point and then point it at media HD or or wherever you mnt slash HD wherever you mounted this thing to, and it will confirm that that location is a mount point. And as I say, like on on Linux, you can you can do this any way you want. Like, you can put a drive anywhere. It doesn't have to be any one one place. Linux doesn't doesn't care at all. And by do doesn't care, I mean it will display that data to you wherever you tell it to display the data. The, the whole structure of a file system with folders and things like that, it's all imaginary anyway. So if you plug in a thumb drive and tell it, okay, show me the contents of this thumb drive in slash my drive, it will do that, as long as slash my drive exists. Or if you tell it to show it to you in slash home slash clatu slash my drive, then it will do that. It doesn't care where you want to see it, it will just show it to you. And it's kind of a cool feature, actually. It gives you a lot of flexibility in how you lay out your system. And it's one reason why, for instance, on my on my drive, I've got some some separation between my slash home and my slash var and temp and opt. Because I know that if I ever have to reinstall stuff, I can define my home partition as as something that I do not want to have, I don't want it to be touched. I, I can install the rest of my system around my slash home directory. Okay, last and I was going to say not least, but probably it is least. Uh, this is this is not intended for home users, this last one. It's called wdctl or wdcuddle or wdcontrol, however you say that. Uh, extension ctl i've heard it said many ways this is wd control and the wd part of this name is stands for watchdog now watchdog is a system i mean it's a very broad term unfortunately so you're gonna if you if you look for this online you will find lots of hits and a lot of them will have nothing to do with exactly this but watchdog broadly is a system uh, embedded in your hardware that it's a term for a system embedded in your hardware whereby there's a f sort of a firmware 
kill switch for for your computer. You'll have you'll have experienced this if you ever had a computer that was overheating, like the the CPU maybe was getting too hot. You didn't have a big enough fan on your computer or or enough uh, ventilation in your in your in your computer, and and maybe you 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 kick off some big process like rendering video or playing a really intense video game or something, and and at some point, suddenly, for no apparent reason, your computer restarts. It reboots. That's that's because of this kind of system. So you can you can look into that system with the Watchdog kernel module. Unfortunately, the Watchdog kernel module is not called Watchdog. It has several several different names depending on the hardware that you are trying to introspect. You can find the ones that are available to you in your kernel module directory. So for instance, if you do an ls on slash lib slash modules and then the kernel that you're running slash kernel slash drivers slash watchdog, you'll find quite a few modules in there. It looks like there's about, if I do an ls dash one on this directory and then pipe that through wc dash l, I have 43 modules in there that are all, the, the most of which are uh, so the suffix is underscore WDT for watchdog timer, I think. Not all of them have that. Some of them are called something different. So yeah, it really, it's going to vary on your hardware. And, and that's by nature of the fact that this is a hardware monitor. This is something on your motherboard monitoring probably, honestly, a server. This Again, this is not really normally intended for for a home user, because the home user, is it's, it's assumed that you're sitting in front of your computer, and if your computer reboots, well, you're sitting in front of your computer. Or if you're not sitting in front of your computer and your computer crashes, you can walk over to it and hit the power button for a couple of seconds to power it down, and then hit it again to power it back on, and you're back up and running. So this is definitely intended for the server market, where a server may be one of a hundred on a rack in a big room in in big cabinets that you, you physically cannot get to without really sort of a big deal. Or maybe the computer is not even on site at all, it's, it's across town. And in order to go hit the power switch of that one computer at that site that you maintain from afar, you'd have to drive across town walk into their premises, hopefully they're open at the time, you know, that kind of thing. So this is very much not a a home user type system uh software. So anyway, you can you there is an emulator for this, um or a a, a generic, I shouldn't call it an emulator, but it is partly an em- emulator, I think. But it it's a driver for just generic you know, if you don't know what hardware you have or and maybe you're just doing testing or something uh, then there is something called soft dog. So if you do a mod probe soft dog, then, well, actually, before you do that, you, you can do an ls slash dev slash watchdog. And if that directory does not exist, then you do not have watchdog, uh, a watchdog module loaded right now. If it does exist, then you have a watchdog module loaded. You probably don't. It is usually not on by default. So assuming that you have no slash dev slash watchdog, you can do a mod probe soft dog, and now if you do a ls slash dev slash watchdog, you'll see that you do have such a directory. And then you can issue the wdctl command that we're talking about in the first place. And that comes back with some information, for instance, the device that it detects is slash dev slash watchdog. The identity maybe is soft dog, 
or some other module name that, that, that is appropriate to your hardware. Timeout, 60 seconds. Okay, so all this is is giving you an interface, or giving your computer and you an interface to the hardware timers that are monitoring physical components in your computer. As it is right now, it is useless. You can see that it is active. You can see sort of into an emulated hardware environment with this soft dog module, or you can maybe maybe see some information about your actual hardware if you've actually got a, a real you know, if you've loaded the correct module. You could trigger a reboot. You wouldn't want to. Uh, it, it's an unclean reboot. It, is, it, it, does it, it, it does it very forcefully. It leaves your file systems in a, in a dirty state. They would have to be file system checked. You don't really want to do this. As a last resort, certainly it is something that you could utilize, but not in its current state. So the thing that you need now is a watchdog demon of some sort. There are two that are available. There is the Watchdog Demon, which you will find in your package manager, and there is SystemD itself. SystemD has an interface to talk to Watchdog. And what those do, SystemD or the Demon, whichever you choose to use, is they periodically send signals to slash dev slash Watchdog. So they have to have permission to write to slash dev slash Watchdog. Assuming that they do, if you've configured it correctly such that they know where to write, signals to, and that they have permission to send signals to slash dev slash watchdog, then as long as they keep sending signals on a periodic basis to slash dev slash watchdog, everyone's happy. And if those signals stop, then the hardware timers time out, and the machine is rebooted by a, a hard reset. And then, again, last resort is the worst case scenario, but you're not next to your computer, you need to get to it, you need to SSH in, you need to, to access it for any reason. You might you might do that, it might have been rebooted last night, but at least you have access to it. And th that's the idea of Watchdog. So WDCTL being included in Slackware is a little bit funny because uh, there, there is no Watchdog system on Slackware. There's no Watchdog daemon, there's no system D, it's just not there. Now, normally you would turn to slackbuilds.org for that, uh, but they don't. Nobody on slackbuilds.org has has ported or has has packaged up. I guess would be the correct term. Watchdog, the the watchdog demon. Now you can find the watchdog demon. Like I say, on on lots of distributions, you'll just find it in your package manager anyway. Uh, for Slackware, what I normally do if something's not in my if if something's not on Slackware and it's not on slackbuilds.org. A lot of times what I'll do is I'll, my first stop will be the Fedora, the Fedora package uh, server. That's dl.fedoraproject.org slash pub slash Fedora slash Linux slash release. You can go in there, usually a, an old, and we, we I kind of talked about this on the episode where I was talking about RPM to TGZ, or T question mark Z. And um, you can go in there, you can find an RPM, and as long as you get the versions correct, and you're lucky, and all the, all the, the tool chain is is the same then it'll it'll just work you, you can just convert that watch that that uh, rpm to a tgz and then install it i i did not do that because i don't need i don't need watchdog on on my slackware system so I, i'm not going to do that but as i said it's it's not really that difficult to configure and and especially if you're running a system d system and these days chances are you are if you're running linux then then you can you can tell it to, to monitor Watchdog, or to manage, I should say, Watchdog for you, and, and then it will, it will do that. I've had to configure it on other systems, 
at jobs where, as I said, the system wasn't right next to me, the, the server wasn't next to me, it might be across town, whatever, and it only takes once or twice for you to lose connectivity to a server that is a 20-minute drive away before you start looking into resources to, f to make sure that that doesn't happen. And any major brand of a server is going to have watchdog timers available for, for monitoring. And it's a pretty simple thing to set up on RHEL. So there you go. That's Watchdog. There's more in Util Linux, but there is no more time in this episode. So let's call it a show for now. And we'll come back next time and continue with Util Linux. listening to the GNU World Order AUGcast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as AUGcast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time. Council of Anarchy. You and we've just scraped our peel for your precious Mimir. How dare you 